Welcome to Love Rules, the radio ministry of Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston. My mom, Liz Walker, was Boston's first African-American television news anchor, but her most important job is what she does right now at RPC, preaching the good news about God's love. The Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How does that work? Join my mom now as she offers us Love Rules from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Love Rules. Today's message is, Where Are You? The text, Genesis 3, 8, 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? That's the first question in the Bible. And it is God's question, marking the beginning of the ongoing conversation between God and humankind. While many theologians and philosophers claim that life's most meaningful quest is our search for God, this text in the third chapter of Genesis offers another perspective, God's search for us. You know the story well. Adam and Eve, created by God as innocents without fault, are seduced by the crafty serpent. They've eaten the forbidden fruit. This is the first broken rule in the history of the world. They open their eyes, realize they're naked, are ashamed, and try to cover up. When they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day, they run and hide. And that's when God asks the question, where are you? What does this question mean? To think that God simply lost sight of humanity among the trees for a moment, well, that's not enough. After all, this is God who created the universe and spoke the stars and sun into being, who said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. This is the God who took dust from the ground, formed man, and breathed the breath of life. This is the God for whom there are no surprises. No, this question probes deeper than a physical query. God wants something more here. You see, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Though the word sin is never mentioned in this text, we are taught this is the story of its origin. Humankind's move from innocence to willfulness, from good to evil. Yet, if you read the Bible, you know this story, this act alone, does not seem to be enough to cover all the wrongdoing for which we are capable. Did Adam and Eve really know all the rules? Could it have been a mistake? After all, that serpent was pretty smart. And they really had just arrived. Their skin probably wasn't even dry yet. Indeed, there are many Hebrew words that define sin. The word that covers this story, and it is the word that is used most often, comes from the root chata, which means to miss the mark. The second word, with a greater strength, I believe, is pronounced ava, iniquity. It is often translated that way, and it means wrong intent like the violation of the Ten Commandments. The third word from the root pasha, to rebel, means transgressions, often is defined in corporate sins, the wealthy landowners who kick the poor out of their homes, or unjust laws that affect women and children. Preachers who say whatever people want to hear, that kind of sin. Now, you see, there are all kinds of sins in the Bible, with 
with varying degrees of definition, but the one thing that pulls them all together is this disconnection from God. God tells you to do one thing and you do something else. And even if you didn't know all the meanings, you know a sin when you see it, and you know one usually when you do it. Adam and Eve reached beyond the boundary that God established and went their own way. But what I want to focus on this morning for just a few minutes is what happens next. It's the step after the sin that is very important. As soon as they fall, their eyes are open, they are overcome with guilt and shame. What's the first thing they do? They seek cover. And that sums up not only the story of the first sin, but the status of the human condition. Because the problem is not only in the sin, it's in the cover-up. Every scandal we read about in today's paper points to a cover-up that is just as bad as the crime. People can usually accept moral flaws in each other, but it's getting caught in the lie that usually takes you down. And it's easy to point fingers and make judgment against the stuff we read in the headlines, but I have to tell you that everyday cover-ups count too. Have you ever had a disagreement with your husband or a friend and you said some things you shouldn't have and acted in ways that were horrible, and now you don't know how to make it right? You feel ashamed, but instead of apologizing, you avoid them, and the situation goes from bad to worse. That's the cover-up, and that's how we act often with God. The Bible warns us that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that's what God means when God asks, where are you? Questions. God's questions have great power. But we know that from science to economics, questions are critical to discovery and innovation. In medicine, the right question asked at the right time can save a life. But God's questions are even more critical. God's questions probe our very souls. When God says, where are you? He's not just asking, where are you? But Where are you headed? What are you going to do now? That's why repentance is so important. Admitting our wrongdoing. Apologizing. Lord, I'm sorry. And not only do we need to apologize, we then have to do the hard work, changing our ways. The basic message of the gospel is about change. To be forgiven of sins, we have to change. To please God. We have to change. To receive eternal life, we must change. You see, repentance is a change of mind, of heart, a choice, an exercise of the will to act differently in the future than we have acted in the past. And we all know how difficult change is. So you have to repent every time you do something wrong. We would rather hide than change. You know how they say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? It's not just crazy. It's the way our culture runs. If you didn't come to church, you would never even hear the word sin. You would never hear that sin is wrong. The culture, the system, the world is set up to help you hide. You do something that breaks the law or pushes ethical boundaries, all you need to do is get a good lawyer. Do something wrong? blame somebody else. Do something wrong, never admit guilt. Call your insurance agent. Tell them you've had a wreck and it was your fault. Well, they may suggest you don't want to admit guilt. 
And so we go around saying, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? <laughs> you know, we say guilt is a wasted emotion. And I suppose if you live on guilt street, it is. But in God's economy, guilt is necessary because it's supposed to make you change. You don't have to live there. You're not supposed to be guilty all your life. You're supposed to be moved to change. Adam and Eve felt that guilt as soon as they disobeyed God. But that's like a yellow light, a warning light that God has placed inside our hearts to let us know we're going the wrong way. But what do we do when we come up to a warning light, a yellow light in Massachusetts? We go faster. Warning? Forget about it. Think about this story. Adam and Eve put on some fig leaves to cover up their nakedness and hide behind some trees, thinking God won't see them? Really? God created the trees, and the fig leaf, that belongs to God, too. We are all lost in kind of weak hustles, trying to steal and cheat God, and we're not even good at it. We don't realize that you can't get away with manipulating God. God cannot be deceived. God cannot be tricked. You can't just pray when you need something or come to the church to get some brownie points. We don't have that kind of power. We're not dealing with that kind of God. I recently read somewhere that for the first time in the history of this country, most parents no longer expect that our children will be better off than we are. Apparently, the notion that hard work will be rewarded with a better life no longer holds enough water. People don't want to work. People don't want to make commitment, or at least not long-term commitments. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting madder, and the divide grows wider, and nobody hears the voice asking, where exactly are you? Where are your hopes? Where are your dreams? Where are you storing your treasures? Greed and selfishness rule a world turned inward on itself, self-oriented, self-centered, self-obsessed, hiding from repentance, running away from compassion, not even being concerned about offering a helping hand. Hiding from God means that you are, you are seeking power from yourself. You are seeking profit and everything from yourself and the world, and you are leaving the kingdom behind. You see, it is the kingdom of God that should go first. And there's no time to hear the question, where are you? But the question remains. Here is the good news, though. There is good news to report. God is always searching for the lost. That is the narrative that runs throughout the Bible. That is what Jesus teaches in parable after parable. That is the point of the creation story, and especially the point of the question that God asks. Because this story and this question are not just about sin. You see, the Bible offers us a choice. And sometimes we, we don't think about that. We focus on other things. But God loves you. Jesus went to the cross to free you. But it is always about your choice. And there is always a time and a way to do the right thing. So the question remains this morning, where are you? Jesus calls us out of hiding and cover-up. He calls us into truth. Whoever does my will is my brother and my sister and my family. 
These are the people I love, and we have work to do. We have to stand up and live for the truth. Jesus says, I'm here. Where are you? Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Roxbury Presbyterian Church is located at 328 Warren Street, right in the heart of Roxbury. Come worship with us on Sundays at 11 a.m. This is a listener-supported program. We invite you to partner with us and learn the many ways that love rules. Visit us on our website, roxburypresbyterianchurch.org, or call us at 617-445-2116. Love will reign if you let love rule.